When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this week my guest is Dave Selecki, former co-host here on Pit Pass Moto and Director of Engineering and Technology at Wassner North America. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. See the fastest racing on two wheels. It's Moto America Superbikes at Brainerd, July 28th through the 30th with six classes including Superbikes, Supersport, Stock 1000, Junior Cup, King of the Baggers, and the Women's Build Train Race Series. It's fun for the entire family with kids under 12 free with a paying adult and available VIP packages for the ultimate fan experience. It's Moto America Superbikes at Brainerd, July 28th through the 30th. Reserve your tickets and a camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com. Let's get started. Dave Selecki, welcome back to Pit Pass Moto. This time as a guest. What have you been up to? And uh, I don't know, what's new? Like, it seems like I haven't talked to you for quite a while, since January, I guess, last time you did the show. What's new, Dave? Oh, I, that's a that's a long conversation. There's just a <laughs> lot going on here at, uh, at Wasner North America. But I definitely got my hands full. So when I, when I left in January, when I left the podcast, I was so excited and pleased that, uh, that you were there to take over and... Uh, carry the reins on man it was three years i was there and uh, enjoyed every minute of it we had a lot of fun together i know so much history with this podcast it goes back even before both of our time you know with tony wank who of course we've had on the show it must go back like at least 10 years from what i what i recall because it seemed like it was way ahead of its time yeah i think so i mean i you could kind of say give them credit for kind of launching the idea that turned into podcasts but to have a moto show and it was Tony that uh, gave me a call and, and the opportunity opened up and uh, worked out really well, I thought. I, I had a lot of fun. I look back at some of those podcasts and, man, we interviewed some pretty cool people. It was it was awesome, man. Yourself included. You were our guest on there a couple of times. Ah, those are the ones when you can't get good people, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> That's when you call your buddies up. Hey, I need you for the show. What are you doing Monday? It's like, uh, what did yeah. I used to say? Uh, being on a podcast is like jury duty. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, you and I both love to do some good bench racing. So I thought, you know, as part of having you back on, we have a little discussion about some some of the outdoor motocross series this year. And, you know, have you, you've been keeping up and, you know, what are your thoughts this summer on the uh, the racing? Yeah, I've been following it, man. It's been uh, it's been interesting for sure. The 450 class is, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you've got so many injuries, so much attrition in that class and you got a young kid that's just seemingly at the peak of his of his abilities with this uh, Jet Lawrence. How cool is it to see? It's it kind of kind of like 2006, 2008 when you had those perfect seasons. You know, not to jinx him, but uh, it seems like he's headed that way. Yeah, it really is. You know, like I think 
I, I had maybe a small doubt in the back of my mind that he would be that good right away, but geez, as soon as I saw him in that first round, I was like, these guys are in trouble. You know, granted, like you said, there's a lot of factory riders out, but the ones that are in there are still legit. And when he's straight up beating, you know, third and fourth place by over a minute, I mean, it just has to be completely demoralizing for the rest of the field. But on the flip side, I think the privateers, it's been the summer of the privateers. That that to me has been probably one of the most exciting things I've seen, just to see guys like, you know, Ty Masterpool and just just some of the other privateers, you know, that like Grant Harlan, who, you know, they're lucky to get close to the top 10 when all the factory riders are there and seeing them ride inside the top 10 and make points and uh, make money, you know, I mean, that's just, I, th I think that's been just a refreshing thing about this summer's motocross series. Yeah, refreshing for sure. And uh, I hope uh, Masterpool comes out of this with a new job because he's definitely earned it. That kid's fast. And uh, it's been fun to watch. And, you know, comparisons are inev inevitable. Like I always mentioned, the, the perfect seasons of Carmichael and, and Stewart. And uh, they're going to compare Jet to these guys, even if he doesn't go perfect on the season, which kind of looks like he will. Um, you're still going to have these comparisons against who they raced, who was there, who wasn't there. But you got to hand it. You still got to line up. You still got to race the motos. The motos are gnarly. You know, Yeah. you know, you raced outdoors. So, you know, it's gnarly racing for these guys to to go and, and, and go undefeated, have a perfect moto every time. Yeah. He's, he's gotten every hole shot except one, I think, Jet Lawrence. I think Ferrandis pulled him on, on uh, at Southwick. But uh, Jet's beating a former national champion in uh, Dylan Ferrandis. So uh, you got to say it's a total legit deal. Absolutely. And then, you know, like I feel like he's putting him in himself in that position to not have to be in situations like, for example, his brother, you know, like Hunter had that issue where he got taken out on the, you know, the start at uh, Redbud. And then this past weekend, his bike breaks. So, you know, there's so many factors to get a perfect season and Jet seems to be doing it. And Carmichael and, and Stewart, which, by the way, I think they did a great, they've been doing a great job, especially James and uh, Jason Wygant together. I just feel like those those two have just really, really gelled together. And it's just been fun to hear those two talk. And, and James especially, because he knows what's going on with the motorcycle. And to hear them talk about, you know, how much admiration they have for Jet and what he's doing... I mean, I think it really is a paradigm shift, a new era that's starting, the Jet Lawrence era. We had the the McGrath era. We had the Carmichael era. We had the Stewart era. And now we're heading into the Jet Lawrence era, I think. Yeah, and a return to prominence for Team Honda. I mean, these guys, are, it just seems like they can't do much wrong in any aspect of what they do with their new leadership, their new team manager, Lars. They're just firing on all cylinders. You love to see it when everything kind of comes together because, you know, behind the scenes, there's a ton of hard work that goes on to get to that point and everything has to be right every bolt has to be tight everything has to align perfectly for things to go the way they're going so hats off to those guys man they're they're earning it and they're winning it so it's fun to watch you know i think it's uh, in our sport you don't see this happen very often so i gotta enjoy it while it's here yeah, especially when you think that, you know, like in the 250 class, you know, they had a motor go Honda. And so like you're saying, you know, like everything has to be just right. You know, the mechanics have to do their job. The riders have to do their job. Everyone has to do their part. And so it makes it that that much more impressive when you see. I, I personally think he's going to do it unless something really weird out of his power. Otherwise, I think he's got it. Because just the way he wicks it up and someone gets within two seconds, he pins it. And he's gone. And it's just, uh, I mean, you really saw it last weekend in Southwick with the track that was just absolutely brutal, super high humidity. I mean, I felt like you, I saw guys like Jason Anderson riding around like they had their tongue in their spokes. Yeah, that's a good point, Dale. Actually, I was, I was thinking about that was just his poise on the motorcycle. 
he seems to be riding with a lot less effort than everybody else. Yep. Just mature beyond his age, I think. But you can tell by his body position, his attitude, and, and the way he's positioned on the bike. He's he's not working as hard as even Dylan Ferrandis, who is probably as close to him as anybody could get in Sexton, too. But, man, he just makes it look so easy right now. And like you said, he can gap people when he needs to and just wicks it up a little bit. And, and he's not going to ever go any further than he needs to because he's beaten everybody by 30 seconds. But um, his style, I think, is uh, is enjoyable to watch. And if you're a fan of the sport, it's uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's like he's able to just kind of put his ego aside and not worry about crushing the competition. He just kind of does what he needs to do to manage it. And like you said, I think it's brilliant because he is saving energy. Like he's just so he gets to the second mode when he has that much more energy than someone's just smashing berms and blowing up corners and just just using so much energy. A guy like RJ Hampshire, who's to me is the polar opposite of, you know, a Jet Lawrence, where he's just he's going through jumps and smashing berms out. And so the guy just has to use so much more energy than like a, a jet Lawrence. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, the guy that reminds me of what you just stated was, uh, was Carmichael. Yeah. He was always kind of a bulldog, <laughs> you know, he would just hammer through stuff harder than anybody else. It was never pretty, but you know, as far as effortless on the bike, Lawrence kind of reminds you of like a Kevin Windham. Yeah. Just his smooth body style, his position, his head's always in the right position. And uh, he's he's floating over the track. He's on top of the bike. He's not down in it like a lot of these guys that just try to explode their way around the track and wear themselves out. I know I, that's how, kind of how I ride most afternoons is just playing <laughs> into stuff. But it's uh, it's a ton of fun to watch. And I, I like I say, I think uh, you got to enjoy these seasons when they happen because it doesn't happen very often in our sport where one person dominates at this level. You know, as compared to like that 250 class, because that seems to be a little bit more of a mix up than the, than the 450 class is going. Well, I've been kind of drawn a parallel to Formula One where like Max Verstappen is just completely dominating in the Red Bull car right now. And so I just feel like Jet's kind of doing the same thing to where you just it's just mind blowing. But yeah, is it just me, though, or does that guy just have a tree trunk for a neck too? Jet Lawrence. I'm like, wow, the kid just, I mean, it's, his neck is huge. Yeah, be, to be 19 again, man. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking about that this morning because I, I try to hit the gym every day, and, and it's just so that I can hold on to my 450. I've got a 450 Cali that I take to the racetrack on the weekend, and it's at my age, as you know, and you're similar age. You're not quite as old as me. But um, just holding on to that bike and getting around the track and doing five smooth laps and feeling like you're in control, you need to have – the body strength that, you know, a 19 year old kid probably takes for granted. And, uh, I wish I had those neck muscles like he does. It, it's for me, it's a battle just to hold on to the bike after three or four laps. And I'm really starting to lose my steam. Well, on another note, what, what do you, uh, what do you think of the Cooper Webb news? Was that surprising or like, to me, it's kind of surprising, but not surprising at the same time. You know, the question is, is where does he end up? Probably end up at star Yamaha, but who knows? I keep hearing, you know, you see all these rumors floating around about like Ducati entering the scene and, you know, so who who really knows where he's going to end up? But yeah, kind of a weird deal. Yeah, I guess the way that played out, I was kind of got to be happy for the guy because nobody, no hard feelings. It seems like it just was a parting of the ways and he can go off and do his thing. But yeah. I think it's pretty much for certain he's going to go back and uh, ride for Bobby Regan. And uh, that makes sense to me. But it's kind of a domino effect because you hear about all these other riders and positions changing now because of it or maybe not because of it but all things are going to kind of be related because now Ferrandis is probably out at star so where does he go does he retire does he go to Kawasaki because they don't seem to be they're not exactly doing as well as a lot of people thought they might 
maybe they're going to make changes. So, you know, it could be kind of a round robin at the end of the day where, where this web thing kind of was the ripple effect to uh, the rest of the class. That's true. I hadn't really thought about that, but I could see Ferrandis going to like Cowie. And then if Chase ends up going to KTM, which I assume that's why they're kind of like not really too worried about parting ways early. So they can probably start working towards, you know, their next season, which of course we haven't, I, I haven't really necessarily heard that that's a done deal, but maybe it is. I don't know. It's going to be a fun, silly season though. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that the silly season's starting this early in the year and we're already thinking about next season or even Webb coming back and riding that uh, SMX series, the three race final, because he is in the points and he's got an opportunity to, you know, win that all. And that's a big payout. You know, if he goes goes and does that, that, that could be a big deal. But he'd have to start training now, I imagine, get on his bike and figure it all out before, uh, I don't know, when's that start up in October, I think, uh, when they hit Charlotte? Yeah, or September. Yeah, September, I think. Yeah, so then you got that three-race series, so he's got a whole new motorcycle to get used to. But, yeah, I think uh, the Chase thing is they're going to let that play out. He's kind of struggling through the summer because he had that bad wreck and concussion, and the rumor was he had mono. So uh, he's not riding at 100%, even though he's still finishing, uh, you know, just behind Jet. Uh, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, speaking of September, you know, you, when you mentioned that, you, you just kind of reminded me of, uh, so the World Supercross just had their opening round in the UK, and man, it seemed pretty low-key to me. But then the biggest thing is, is they had the, the French round was canceled. So now the next round isn't all the way until like the end of September, and so you've got this like, you know, excitement, World Supercross kicking off and then phew, nothing for yeah. like two and a half months or whatever. So kind of strange. But I also I understand that they're, they're still kind of putting things together. I think they did end up adding a round in Saudi Arabia to replace the French one. But yeah, interesting stuff going on there. I didn't I don't honestly I, I really wasn't that interested to be I, I watched it, but it was kind of like me. I don't know. I guess with outdoor season going, it's hard to get that excited about Supercross for me personally. It is. And it's, you know, because of the rider talent that they've drawn, it's it seems like kind of a watered down series to some extent. So it doesn't get as, as much excitement. So it's not to say they're not good riders on the track, but when you compare it to the other two series that are running in parallel with MXGP and, and outdoor motocross, they're drawing the major talent. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It seems like they've got their struggles with that series. They, they definitely wasn't a smooth operation that first round. So they've got some things to work on, it seems like. The broadcast was eh, and the attendance was eh. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling that it's that it's uh, up and running at full steam yet. Yep. How about Moto America? You've been keeping up on uh, what's been happening over there? I've been hovering around that a little bit. I do check in on Superbike, and, uh, you know, I kind of predicted that those BMWs would eventually kind of break into the top 10 and then into the top five and eventually get a win, and I see they did. Just rocket ships. Yeah, that's off. They've got the horsepower now. I think that's the difference. They've figured something out with that bike. And, you know, they're giving Gagne a run. He's still leading the points, but, you know, as, as Jake Gagne tends to do. But uh, Cam Bobier, man, going in there and, and running that BMW up front. And I see, is it his brother that rides in stock 1000, Ezra Bobier? I think it must be related. I don't know if it's his brother or not, but I assume that has to be <laughs> not just a coincidence. Yeah, but he's leading that stock 1000 class with the BMW. So hats off to those guys, man. They've sorted that bike out. And uh, I'd like to say I've looked at more of it, but I haven't because, you know, things tend to get busy around here. But definitely check in on Superbike from time to time to see how it's going in the baggers because we work with one of the race teams. So I always try to keep an eye on what's going on there. And it looks like kind of a Harley Davidson domination at this point. Yeah, it's been the Superbike's been fun though. I've been I've been keeping track of all the the races there and 
You know, it's it kind of like I sort of predicted. I thought Josh Heron would be pretty strong, and he's been he's been in there. You know, I think he surprised some people with being able to run with Gagne and Bobier, and you know, Skoltz is in there once in a while. But it just seems like it's definitely the Gagne and and Bobier show. And also, we were supposed to have Brandon Posh on the show last weekend, but he ended up having to fly out early to California because he just landed a seat on the X Star Suzuki team, and so he uh, kind of did his first superbike. I guess, full-time seat for the rest of the season with uh, X-Star Suzuki. And I think he got a fifth in his first ride. So I think that's seems like a good spot for him to land. Yeah, good for Brandon, man. Mr. Daytona. Yeah. So uh, I hope uh, hope he turns that into a good program because uh, it seems like Suzuki's a little bit behind the, the curve a little bit. I think they got one rider in the top five uh, or top six or so. I think it was it. Uh, Richie Escalante, I think, is still uh, competing in Superbike and uh, – keeping that X-Star bike up there, which is cool. But uh, yeah, that Ducati, I thought for sure, you know, Josh, I think he's won some rounds. Didn't he win Daytona? Yeah, he won Daytona. That's that's what you'd expect out of a Ducati because they're dominating uh, MotoGP. Those bikes are just incredible at that level. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Well, let's change directions a little bit and talk about your life in power sports. So how long now have you been working in the industry? And uh, tell us a little bit about when and where you got your start. Uh, I've actually never done the math, but, uh, you know, it's pretty simple. I'd say by 1983, I was I was working in the industry, but I was still in high school. I happened to uh, be a guy who was into dirt bikes and riding and, and was hanging out at the uh, at the local shop and started a relationship with the parts manager because I tended to be in there quite a bit. <laughs> he asked me one day, he says, hey, what do you do during a week? I said, well, I, you know, I'm in high school, but I have an early dismissal. So I'm kind of looking for a job. He goes, well, why don't you work here? So <laughs> couldn't say yes fast enough, right? But I uh, ended up working at a moto, uh, local uh, uh, motorcycle dealer, which I, I think you might be familiar with, Dale, because I think you guys purchased bikes there back in the day at Mark Smith Cycles in Painesville, Ohio. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yep. yeah, I think early on we were helping you out with Yamahas, you and your dad. So I remember you guys coming in the shop. And uh, I was uh, working in the parts department, eventually managing the parts department up until they uh, shut down my business in 1987. Uh, turns out the, uh, the owner of the company got a little greedy and uh, did some things financially he shouldn't have done, and they locked the doors. So, uh, <laughs> it, you know, as they always say, as one door closes, one door opens, right? So it was, I think, about six months later when I got a call from a friend about a position at Weisco. So in, 1980, in 1988, it was February of 88, I went to work for Weisco, and I was there 31 years. And just 31 spectacular years. I learned a lot. I was very fortunate to, uh, to join that company as they were growing rapidly and uh, got involved in the engineering side of the business. Uh, just, uh, I was a gearhead and a, you know, kind of a home mechanic and learned a lot of things myself, but um, 
I had a propensity for it and uh, kind of slowly developed into uh, an engineering role. And uh, I really haven't looked back because I've been there ever since. But uh, yeah, I was 31 years at Wiseco doing pretty much everything from the design side, working with race teams, developing pistons and other products for the company. And I eventually moved into more of the kind of the front end of the business. I got out of engineering and went into the uh, product management and marketing side and did some things there. And uh, really enjoyed that because for a short time there, I was somewhat of the face of the company uh, on the marketing side where we did videos and new product presentations and training with our distributors and things like that. So I got to wear a lot of hats there and uh, covered a lot of ground for sure. But uh, very fortunate to join that company at the time I did. In a way, you kind of like you sort of lucked into you get this job at a dealership level. They close up shop and then you land with Wiseco. But like, when was it? Was there a certain point where you're just like, this is where I want to be for the rest of my career or my life? Or was that just never really something you thought about? You just kind of stumbled into it? I I would say, yeah, it was definitely happenstance because, uh, yeah, when you when you get into the industry, as you know, you fall in love with it because it's something you love to do. And and I just uh, I didn't see myself really doing anything else outside of that that really interested me a lot. Being mentored and trained and, and working with some some really great people over the years really kind of opened my eyes and, and made me realize that this is really where I belong and kind of circle back around to the end of the story. And I don't want to rush to the end, but, you know, I left the industry. I left the industry in 2019. I left Weisco after 31 years. It was actually not Weisco at that point. It had become uh, race winning brands. It was uh, performance motorsports for a while, then it became race winning brands. So I was overseeing several of the main brands like Weisco, Pro X, JE. But anyway, when I left in 2019, I completely left the industry and I did that intentionally to kind of check myself, right? You know, where do I stand? What do I know? Am I capable? Can I work in an engineering realm outside of my core comfort zone, which is the power sports industry? Yep. And I did. And I actually enjoyed that for a short while. I did that for about two and a half years. Worked for a, a large company that does, um, they build industrial sized equipment for uh, upfitting uh, municipal trucks and, and utilities, things like that. So snow plows and big toolboxes and all sorts of big manufacturing facility. And I managed the engineering department there. And I was able to do it pretty well. I was pretty happy there. But all the while I was eyeing this opportunity at uh, Washington, North America that uh, Ralph had started, I think, in 2017. So we had been working together. I'd done some consulting for him on some design work. So circle around to the end, I ended up here back in the industry. And we, we kind of talk amongst ourselves because we're all old school, long term industry people that uh, we're all kind of where we belong. You know, we're very, very happy and content to be where we're at, doing what we do, contributing to the industry in the way that we do and in the way that we know the industry. And we're not constrained by some of the, uh, I say, corporate requirements that you might see at some of the larger companies. And it's a nice thing about working for a small privately held company. It was kind of maybe a long-winded answer, but, you know, that's uh, kind of the whole story in, in a nutshell. Yeah, I like how you, so like what you are just talking about, it's like you got the band back together with, you know, you and Bob DeFranco and Ralph Johnson. I mean, it's just like all of us grew up together, like going to the races, you know, seeing each other there. So, I mean, that just has to be fun, you know, working with friends, you know, on a daily basis. It is. Yeah, there's definitely very few personality conflicts. We all kind of sing from the same song sheet, I would say. Tend to have the similar opinions about how we want to treat this business. And Ralph's done a great job kind of laying the groundwork for that and building it up from the bottom and focusing on the things that we feel we should focus on to grow the business sensibly and not spin out of control, which is very easy to do in other situations. So, 
I think we've got a good crew and a good uh, approach to the market and what we do. And I'm, you know, real, real happy to 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 be a part of this and uh, help build it from uh, from where uh, you know Ralph had got it started back in 2017. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It's difficult when starting out to probably like not bite off more than you can chew, you know, maybe buying too many materials, getting in a little over your head that way. So being able to grow it in a sustainable way, I mean, that's that's definitely kind of a tough thing to do. And so it seems like you're saying, Ralph, and all you guys together are, are doing a great job of growing it. For those out there who might not be familiar with Wastner, though, Give us a little a little bit of background, just kind of some brief background about the company and how, how the North American division started. But well, it is an interesting story because if you go further back in my history at Weisco back into the, say, early 1990s, we had a distributor in Europe that was called Wassner. The owner, Eckert Wassner, was purchasing pistons. He was somewhat of an exclusive distributor out of Germany for the brand Weisco, and he did a lot of custom work. I actually did the design work back at that time. And uh, Eckert pretty much took that and eventually started manufacturing his own pistons. Originally to kind of complement the Weisco line, but then eventually to kind of break off and, and do his own deal. And actually, you could say become a competitor. So that's kind of how Wassner began about 40 some years ago. That's kind of how he started the business and he grew it from there. He started a manufacturing facility. At the time, I think he was purchasing forgings. Along the way, he purchased his own forging facility in Italy, which is called uh, FGM. And it's an impressive facility that uh, does aluminum forging and uh, with tremendous capabilities uh, and capacity. So now he has a supply to manufacture pistons and uh, they wanted to break into the U.S. market. They actually started originally in California, probably 10 years back uh, with another gentleman who is a, a former uh, JE employee. Eventually, that kind of worked itself out to where it wasn't going to be able to grow the business adequately in the U.S. market. Needed somebody with a focus on getting the right partners, distribution, managing the website, the data, things. That's where Ralph came in and he joined the company and kind of moved everything from California to Ohio, uh, which is where we're based out of now. And uh, to kind of grow the business from that from that area out. And, uh, you know, there's. I would say there's not a whole lot that guys like Ralph or myself or Bob don't know about the piston aftermarket. Uh, I'd say we know it pretty well <laughs> after all our years uh, in the business. So uh, we're focusing, you know, really on the right things. It's not just pistons, it's other products, but we're trying to do this in a sensible way, like you said, so it doesn't spin out of control and we don't bite off more than we can chew. We want to do it right. And we truly believe in that grassroots growth. You know, we want to build from the bottom up, not from the middle out or the top down. And getting the right partners in place and getting all of the right uh, superstructure in place so that we can grow the business sensibly is what we're doing. And I think it's starting to pay off. We're seeing it. The things we're doing now are really, really sensible. And uh, it's starting to come back around to us. We're seeing that we're making an impact to the industry and our, and our competition. We're starting to grab share. So what's the primary focus right now as far as product? Is it the piston line or is it just, you know, the whole line in general, just trying to build brand awareness in the U.S. market? Because I noticed you've, you've got some pretty good riders and teams and even engine builders already using the Washner product. So there's no problem with quality there. It's just probably getting some, you know, awareness of the brand in the U.S. market. That's a challenge. But again, we're trying to do it in a sensible way and, and work our way up. But uh, yeah, the core product is pistons, forged pistons. Uh, which obviously is our background also. But we complement that with connecting rods and then other components on top of that, gaskets. And we're slowly adding other products to that mix, again, as that makes sense. But those are the, the core things that we do are pistons and rods. And 
myself, when I came on board, my job as uh, technology and engineering side is to work closely with our partners and our teams, develop product and roll that into our product line so that our product line improves along with their feedback. So I work closely with several teams in uh, MXGP racing and also here in the U.S. Uh, in, I would say, Several disciplines are raising, but, uh, you know, AMA flat track, motocross, supercross, there's even some automotive things in there that we're doing. But uh, I work closely with uh, with these race teams and develop the product and, uh, again, roll that into our product line so that we improve. Well, here's a question that I'm curious to know. So I'm 30 years now in the industry. You're what? You got to be 35 now, probably, right? More, more like 40, but okay. 40. <laughs> I think it's something like that. 80, 83 to 20. Yeah, probably 40. Time flies. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> we're constantly like learning and adding to our skill set, even throughout these 30 years, like we're constantly learning and accumulating experience, knowledge. So I'm wondering, are there skills in your job that you're doing today that you may not have understood or knew anything about just five years ago, even? Like my example is I look at some of the stuff I've written five, 10 years ago, and I'm like, wow, I realize I've progressed since then. You know, like you don't, you might not notice it day to day. But then when you look back, you kind of go, wow, I've, I've actually learned and accumulated quite a bit of new skills and knowledge over the years. So is that kind of the case for you, too? Yeah. You know, when I think about uh, one of the keys that a company like us, a small company that's trying to break in and, and make an impact, the things that we need to do that are data. If you have sound data, you can go to market and be able to feed that information to your customer base and work closely with them. That's key to everything you do. And I wouldn't have thought that 15 years ago, you know, it, it just didn't seem that important to me. But now it is the basis for everything that we do and, and being able to kind of be ground zero for that information. We've seen kind of a shift in the market from some of our competitors or people are tending to come our direction more looking for not only the data and the technical content, but information. And that's some of the stuff. Now, I, one of my jobs when I came on board was to build up our website. And that's not something I'm, uh, I've am i ever thought in a million years that I would do or could do, but I do it. But uh, to be able to build that from just sitting down and learning it myself, um, I never would have thought that I needed to know how to do that. But uh, it's something I use every day. I'm, I'm frankly in there all the time, uh, tweaking it, making further changes and adding new product and, you know, photos and all of that data really is what drives your business. And unless you have that under control, you're, you're really going to struggle. Think about, you know, your outside world, outside of the power sports world, you know, the Amazon effect. That's, that's the standard that people require. And if their experience isn't in alignment with, with what they see on Amazon and how things act and the result that they get, you know, they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, this isn't, uh, this isn't as good as the other guy. How come? So uh, we work to strive to get there. We're not quite there yet, but uh, we're working on it. Well, with so many years in the industry, there's got to be a few projects for you that stand out, though. Like, what are some of the ones that you're uh, super proud of? Never thought about that question, but what? I do remember <laughs> back in back in the day when I was at Wisco, I worked very closely with uh, with Jack Ross. I would say this was probably 2002, 2003. We had been working with Jack for 10, 15 years since he started with car racing. Uh, he came to Wisco and started working with the former owner, Tom Kipp. And I, I got the soft handoff and I was managing Jack's account and designing his pistons and working with him one-on-one. -on -one. And 2003, they won the championship in, in NASCAR. And, you know, I can honestly say I was a part of that is, you know, a small part, but uh, I had a hand in it to some extent. So that was a pretty proud moment. 
and uh, also related to Jack was uh, his passion was airplanes. Uh, he was a uh, airplane restorer. He restored his favorite airplane was a P-51 Mustang. He had uh, one himself. Uh, he started a business that restored the engines for the P-51 Mustang, and we supplied the pistons for that. I had my hand in the design of that. So that was pretty cool to see uh, P-51s flying with uh, pistons that, uh, that I helped pen. So that's pretty cool stuff. I think Jack, the relationship with Jack Roush, who's you know, kind of a, one of the biggest names, I think, in, in uh, car racing or NASCAR racing, to be a part of that was pretty cool. There's there's other things. That's just one that you know kind of jumps out as, as, uh, as significant, I guess. Very cool. So you still able to get to the track these days? Uh, I mean, I know you got to keep up that professional vet practice rider license, right? You got to keep that thing active. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if I want to keep my vet practice card, I gotta I gotta hit the racetrack regularly. But yeah, I do. I've uh, been out several times this year. You know, weather permitting and schedules permitting, I try to get out at least twice a month, hopefully more, and uh, get my exercise in. And I, I still love it. It's. Uh, you know, you and I have joked about working in this industry, you don't get as much time to ride. So I'm trying to make it a point that I do get out. And uh, if I don't get on the, uh, the the dirt bike, I at least get on the street bike and try to do some miles there. So try to stay connected. And I've always got bike projects in the garage to work on. So uh, always something to ride, that's for sure. And uh, I've got four motorcycles in the garage and an ATV. And uh, I'm going down to mid-Ohio in two weeks. They've got the uh, the vintage event that I'd love to go to every year. I'm going to go down and uh, we'll see what follows me home. You never know. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask that next. I've wondered if you're going to go down to the vintage days and any other like Wassner events, you know, that you guys are actually going to start working like Loretta Lynn's or anything like that? Or I wouldn't say Loretta's because I think the other company kind of has a cap on that for now, but uh, I wouldn't true. rule yeah. that out in the future. Um, but we work real closely with a couple of local uh, organizations. E-Rock is a uh, off-road racing series, kind of very similar to um, to GNCC racing. It's a smaller series, but uh, boy, do they get tremendous turnouts. Um, it's Eastern Racing Off-Road Championship, I think is the EROC acronym. So that's one organization, local motocross, Viva Motocross, which is Malvern Motocross. I think you remember racing there, Dale. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've got several tracks, actually. But uh, yeah, we still work closely with them. And there's the direct work with, their, with the race teams that we do in flat track and in motocross and in MXGP, but uh, we did just recently sign uh, uh, the home office in Germany. Wasner in Germany signed uh, on to sponsor. They sponsor the um, Romaniacs, which is the uh, off-road world championship race in uh, Romania. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're, uh, they also have signed up for next year. Graham Jarvis is a uh, sponsored Wasner rider, so that was big news to uh, to be tied to you know probably one of the biggest names in off-road you know, that, uh, hard enduro off-road racing, there's probably nobody bigger. So, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're constantly doing those, those neat little things that those niche things that make sense and work for our company best. So pretty cool stuff. Well, it's cool to see Wasner continue to grow in the U S market. And, uh, Dave, appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure talking to you. You've always been one of my favorite people in the industry. Definitely one of the nicest guys out there. So, Appreciate your time today. Any last words you want to, or anything else you want to share about yourself or Wasner before we uh, close out this episode? Go right ahead. Well, I appreciate it, man. I consider myself the luckiest guy in the world. I get to work in the industry I love and work with great people. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm uh, I'm excited that Fast Moto is in capable hands, man. It's definitely with a good guy, Dale. You and I go way back, and I uh, appreciate uh, what you've done and kept it rolling, and uh, and uh, wish you good luck in the future, man. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. We'll have to check back in with you again here in a, a few months. 
you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate or review our show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to the past episodes and check out the new Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life, featuring articles and industry news focused exclusively on two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to check it out. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 